Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we welcome the awesome, the glorious Clint Bartlett. Yay. How's it going? Awesome. Hey, Clint. How's it going, Jason? Thank you so much for being on the show today. How's it going? Thank you. It's going well. It's been raining like five days straight here, but I'm headed to San Diego tomorrow. I'm going to get a little, I'm excited for some sun. So Awesome. Awesome. Well, a little bit more about Clint. Clint co-founded his flipping company, Dynamic Properties, in 2013. In 2016, he left his corporate jobs with Conagra Foods to be a full-time investor. And the company, Dynamic Properties, has doubled his acquisition rate every year is on track to buy 80 properties in 2018. And in 2016, Dynamic started buying and holding single-family and multifamily properties and currently has 44 doors in a rental portfolio. Well, that's awesome. And Clint, we know a lot about you. So why don't you tell us how this journey of yourself in real estate and dynamic property started. Sure. Uh, I grew up here in Omaha, Nebraska. When I graduated from school, I took a job in California and uh, I was working for Frito-Lay, just a good little corporate job there. Moved back to Omaha and took a, a, a job with a different uh, company, another corporate job, and um, kind of linked back up with my best friend who um, I'd grown up with and always stayed close to. And Jeff Cohn, who um, has a, a real estate team here in Omaha, Nebraska, him and I had just started talking about, hey, let's flip a house together. Let's buy rentals together. And it was just kind of a, just an idea. And uh, in 2013, we pulled the trigger and did our first little pet project flip. And it was just a little house that we found on the MLS. And um, I think we made like $11,000 or something like that. And I think I spent it all on one vacation that we went on, but um, it was just a little part-time gig. So we did uh, a few houses really in our first year. And then we decided that we should probably create a, an LLC and do this official. Um, and 2014, 2015, we did, um, let's see, I think we did like a five flips in 2015. Um, and then 2016, we did eight flips and we started buying some rental doors as well. Um, all single family homes. Omaha is a great rental market. So, I mean, you can, you know, easily buy a house for 60 or $70,000 and rent it out for 1100 bucks a month. And, you know, you can get a, a pretty good clearance on rent and in decent neighborhoods. So we started buying rentals in the middle of 2016. We had enough deals in the pipeline um, that could justify me quitting my job. So um, I quit in June of 2016. So just a little over two years ago. And we just, we never looked back at that point. And I think the biggest thing that really helped us springboard the business was really when we decided to pay for marketing, we started that, we decided that we couldn't just survive by these deals that fell into our lap. And that's what we had been doing, um, you know, doing it part-time. So um, we realized that we were going to actually have to take some initiative and market to sellers. Um, That was probably the biggest thing that you know, when we, when I quit my job in 2016, everything else before that had just fallen in our lap. So we started paying for marketing and, uh, 2017, I think we finished, um, around 22 flips and it had, um, added, um, about 20 rental doors, um, last year. Um, so it was a good year. Um, we joined seven figure flipping the mastermind group, um, in the middle of last year. And that's really when I had an idea or at least got some, clear direction on what I should do from a marketing standpoint. Um, 
to kind of double down. So this year has been really great. We've, we've already uh, surpassed what we did last year in terms of acquisition and are on track to do 80 deals. So I think we're mid fifties right now in between 50 and 60. I don't count every day, but I think we're at somewhere in between 55 and 60 deals. You don't count every day? No, no? I mean, if I spent, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I took all the time to track what I should be tracking, I could, yeah, I could spend a good portion of my week every week just on the analytics, which I probably need to spend more time doing it. But um, yeah, so it's been a great pace for us just being able to essentially double business every year. I don't think our goal next year will be 160 houses. Um, I don't know if that's feasible, but um, you know, joining the mastermind group was huge just because um, like uh, Andy would always say, you know, I kind of feel like I got permission to, to do well, more. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Let's talk about okay. mentorship and joining a mastermind. Mm-hmm. So what, what made you take that big step? Because joining a mastermind and the mounted costs and yeah. the level of a uh, level of that you need to be at to join the mastermind, you know, that's a huge step. So what made you take that step? That's a great question. You know, I think Jeff, my business partner in his real estate um, team building business, he spent a lot of his career traveling around the country, just meeting with other successful teams. Like if he would, if he would hear about somebody else who's successful, he would hop on a plane and go see him. So he was a big pusher of that, of you know, education and growing yourself in your career. Um, the other thing that helped is I had been listening to Justin Williams podcast since like 2012. And so I, I feel like I kind of knew him and I actually, uh, I did know Justin at BYU. I had met him and actually worked for him very, uh, wow. very short time frame. So I knew him and I knew that I wasn't going to be joining some fluff mastermind just because I, I, I knew I could trust him. So, um, but I just knew that my business was kind of stagnant and that unless I did something drastically different, um, that it was going to remain that way. So joining the mastermind and after going to like my first meetup and just taking like three or four big action items and implementing them, I mean, it was a game changer. And I love what you said about what Andy is who, Andy McFarlane, who's one yeah. of the mentors in the, in seven figure flipper, flipping, he says, basically he tells you, I give you permission. I give you all the permission to succeed. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the way your business is scaled, you've almost doubled year after year. I, I assume that the two of you are not out there doing the work and you've put systems in place. How are you breaking up your roles? Yes. Um, well, Jeff is pretty much a silent partner. Um, you know, we, we put a lot together at the beginning at the front end in terms of how we wanted to structure the business. And um, so he's pretty much removed from the the business. I take a salary out of the business, but otherwise we have a, a full-time calling operation. So we leverage right now just two full-time callers that are um, doing outbound calling and they're um, based in the Philippines and are, are calling just basically any numbers that we can get for the Omaha, Nebraska market for this area. Um, so they're, they're doing that full time. We have two of his agents, um, that are almost full time for us. So two agents on Jeff's real estate team are act as our acquisition managers. They vet all the leads, set all the appointments, run all the comps and the analysis on the properties. And I join them on those appointments if my schedule allows it just because I really enjoy meeting with sellers. Um, so that's probably the favorite, my favorite part of what I get to do is going on appointments, meeting sellers, 
and negotiating contracts. Um, so that's the, the piece that I probably have the, um, where I spend most of my time is on that front end. Um, in addition to the marketing, I love spending my time on, hey, what new marketing are we going to do? Or are we you know, marketing to the right people or using the right type of marketing? So that's where I spend the majority of my time. Um, my older brother is our project manager on our flips. So we close, um, we've only wholesaled two of our houses this year. So we close on everything that we buy and we either wholetail it, um, just list it as is and put it on the market, um, rent it, keep it and keep it for rental. We like to keep about 20% of what we buy as our rental and add it to our rental portfolio. Um, or we flip it. So my brother, um, is our project manager and he's hands on some of the time. So, um, he's buying materials, getting bids from subcontractors. Um, and then we have one other full-time guy who helps us out with painting, with demolition, any other odds and ends as we're getting a house ready to, to put on the market. But, um, between those groups of people, um, that we have in place, um, I'm able, it, I, I don't feel overwhelmed. Um, I can focus time on new marketing or growth or different areas. One big thing that we're trying to do is get into larger multifamily acquisition, um, which the both of you are great contacts for that, which I've already reached out. I've already reached out to Jason, um, and said, Hey, I need some help because we're wanting to buy, um, 20 to 50, um, 20, 50, hundred unit type, um, complexes here in the greater Omaha market. So growth, I can focus on growth and the business can, I, I don't want to say it runs itself. I'm still very much involved in the day to day, but because of all the other, um, support systems that we have, I, I don't have to work 80 hours a week. Um, which is great. I can spend time with family and spend time enjoying life and go on trips and, and do those things and still, um, and still have a business that is running. That's awesome. So the first thing is I give you permission to succeed in large multifamily. There, Thank you. Done. I need it. I need it. You're going to get the next deal tomorrow. I'll take it. Good. <laughs> but let's, let's do a little case study because this is awesome that just the, the, the transition here. So if we're talking here, um, you have your two outbound callers. I, I assume they're, they're cold calling the list and uh, mm -hmm. just how would a call like that go? What, what is the preface of your call? Uh, it's, I mean, first of all, the lists are, you know, it's basic, basic lists that you would mail to high equity, absentee owner, um, whatever the situ situation would be. So we um, get the phone numbers for those lists and it's very simple. I mean, Hey, I'm, we one of our callers, his name is Alvin. You know, hi, my name's Alvin. I represent a, a local investment company called Dynamic Properties, and they're interested in making a cash offer in your home. Have you ever thought about selling? So he starts a conversation out really simple, and, you know, 99.95% of the people hang up on him, you know, they, or they don't take the call. But for the people that do take the call and are interested and show some level of interest, he, he drops that lead um, into our CRM, and that goes right to either one of the agents, depending on. Uh, which caller gets the lead and then the agents will follow it from there, add them to um, our follow-up system and our CRM and the outbound cold calling. If, if you guys are doing it, my opinion of it is it, it's a lot more, it's a much colder lead. You're starting out very, very cold um, because you contacted them. They never reached out to you at any point. Um, so there's a lot more nurturing that has to take place. And I think that investors are generally impatient. Um, so, because of that nurturing process, um, I think a lot of those leads would normally get kind of would fall off. Whereas if, um, because of our acquisition managers are 
following up every four weeks or every six weeks and calling them back. And I mean, we've, we've had people that have been in our pipeline for a year, um, sellers that were kind of on the fence and we, we just stay in touch with them. We stay in front of it and we're able to get a contract a year later because we're willing to kind of nurture that cold lead into a warm lead and then into a, a hot lead. So um, how many of, I mean, that, that, cause that's a great point mm-hmm. just to, to make this more reinforced. How many of your deals this year have come from first interaction versus follow-up? Um, uh, almost. Roughly. Yeah. First interaction. I mean, first of all, we're in the Midwest. People move slow here. They need to make an informed decision. They want to do their homework. They want to talk to their family. They want to talk to other realtors. Um, so we, and just so I'm, I'm clear on what you're asking, I mean, in terms of like on our first visit on, you know, on the first appointment, do we lock it up under contract? Very rarely does that happen. Um, and even the first phone conversation, I mean, it's, it's usually three or four phone conversations to lead to an appointment. Um, so people just are very conservative here. They want to make informed decisions and it, it, we kind of, we use that to our advantage um, because we're very, we're very low pressure when, in our, in our sales pitch. And when we're negotiating, we don't, we don't even bring a contract into the house with us. We don't leave one in the car and do the whole game where you go back out to the car and then bring it in and then, and then pretend like you have a phone call with your manager about the price. <laughs> like we don't do any of that. We're very straightforward and we tell people that, you know, Hey, you need time to make a, a big decision. We, you know, we, of course we sell all the advantages of working with us. You know, we're going to, you can close anytime you want to. We're paying all your closing costs. You can sell it as is. All of that stuff we do sell hard, but at the end of the day, we just say, "Hey, it's your decision. It's got to work for you." And I feel like that kind of empowers people, and um, and it it's more applicable to the um, the mindset in in the Midwest, in my opinion. I think that's yeah. a great mindset. Um, no matter where you yeah. are, where you're at, like give the power to the seller. Mm-hmm. Let them know that they have the power. Let them know that they can call you and that you're not gonna you're not gonna like bulldoze them with all these sales tactics. Mm-hmm. So that that's some great advice. Thank but you if you're that. also starting your marketing, it's just you have to be patient. Yeah, yeah. There, there's not many times out there. Real estate's not a quick play where you just send out a thousand letters and all of a sudden you got twenty contracts just because people are like, "Well, you sent me a letter." You know, you got to yeah. go in there. They have to understand the process. You have to talk to them. They have to they have to find that you're the best solution, and you have to provide the best service. And at that point that's when a deal comes. Maybe it's the fifth, sixth. I mean, we had someone calls from a year and a half ago. They've just had the postcard on the fridge. Just, you know, at some point they just threw it up in the fridge and it's yep. cold, you know, but that's, you know, if I was letting I die, I mean, that would have been dead. You know, if we were just impatient, we would have been out of the game. So yep. great point. Now, if you're talking real uh, from a flip versus a hold perspective, what you've started now holding properties, mm-hmm. uh, what, what is something that stands out to you that you say, okay, this time we're going to hold this property versus flip it? Um, I love to hold properties that don't need as much of a rehab. So if I can get away with putting in paint and carpet and doing, you know, anywhere from three to $5,000 worth of repairs and it's ready to go as a rental, I'm a lot more excited about that. I have a hard time emotionally dumping $20,000 or more into a house knowing that I'm handing it over to a tenant who may or may not trash it, um, which I just expect them to be in rough shape after uh, a tenant lives in there. So that's one of my criteria. Uh, The other is really um, location. If I can be in a decent location where I know um, I can attract good renters and good tenants, um, I'm going to want to be in better parts of town. Um, And really it's just, if we've inherited a lot of, 
properties that were already rentals. So a lot of scenarios just kind of, it just kind of happened. Like, you know, we bought a, um, an 11 plex, um, in June and, you know, it was already fully occupied. I mean, it just kind of made sense of like, well, we're not going to flip this. It, it, you know, it's going to cash flow really well and we're just going to hold on to it and add it to our portfolio. Well, congratulations on the 11 unit. Thank you. Well, it's a five and a six that are like, it's really weird. They're like a half, they're like a half block away from each other. Um, but they're together. Yeah, they're, they're built for purpose and it's like the same sort of setup and like they're both kind of an ugly green color. So it, I just kind of lump them all together as an 11 flex. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's talk a little bit more about your, uh, your team for your buy and holds. You put together this amazing team for your flipping company. What about your team for your buy and holds? Buy and hold is uh, we turn everything over to a property manager as soon as we buy it. Um, I mean, if we have to do a little bit of rehab, we do the work obviously and fix it up and um, turn it over to a, a local property manager here in town who we have a great relationship. In fact, he called me um, just before this, this call and gave me two properties to go look at today. He said, Hey, the doors unlocked, go look at him. He has another, he has another investor who just wants to dump them and get rid of them. So he, he's great at, you know, for a lot of reasons, but we've, we've bought deals from him and he manages our properties at 5%. Um, and that's a, a great, that's a great rate. Um, so I think that as we grow and get into the hundred plus units under management, we may look at kind of partnering with him and doing some in bringing something kind of in house. But for the time being, I'm so focused on acquisition that I have turned over a lot to just third party property management because I don't want to deal with it. Um, and I don't want to get bogged down. Like I know that you can get landlords can get bogged down very easily with one unforgiving one sewer, one sewer backup can just be emotionally crushing. So (laughs) I try to stay detached as much as I can from once I hand it over to him and it's a rental, I just say, just take care of it because otherwise I feel like I'll lose focus on acquisition. That's great. And how do you work for financing? If people are out there looking to grow their flip business and they're worried about, Oh, I can't buy it. What are some suggestions from a financing standpoint? Um, You know, for our very first deal, we, Jeff and I both had enough money to kind of throw at it. And it was like, it was like a $70,000 purchase price. So I think we, we went halvesies on it and just paid cash. But um, you know, we, we've really had a lot of success interviewing local banks Um, so when we started, um, getting serious about our business about two years ago, we partnered with one of the first local banks here and they essentially said, Hey, we'll, you know, we'll do an in-house appraisal. Um, so we wouldn't have to get an official appraisal. They would just basically do, do their thing in-house and we did 20% down, um, which for our price point is fairly easy. Um, depending on where you're at in the country, I mean, our, our average purchase price is 90 grand on our flips. So. I mean, it's pretty easy to do for us, but, um, this last year and a half, we've been partnering with another bank who gave us a a million dollar credit line and we have to put 10% down on that line. So we can essentially buy um, a million dollars worth of flips with a hundred thousand dollars. And, um, they don't do any appraisals. It's $164 origination fee for each loan. So I, and the interest rates like prime plus one. So it's just that $164. 
What'd you say yeah. for the work? Wow. Yeah, it's $164 to do a loan on a house for me on this credit line, and we have to bring 10% down. So I thought I, mean, I heard that wrong. I'm still thinking no, I hear yeah, it. it <laughs> so. it's, well, it's a credit line. Yeah. So it's a little bit different when we pull money out, but, um, you know, as we've met in our mastermind groups, everybody is talking about private money, and we do have private money out. We've borrowed private money for some of the larger projects. Sorry, I don't know if you guys heard that, but I was getting a phone call. <laughs> um, Podcasting followed, life. Yeah, yeah you, we, made, you made everybody on, on the podcast the, who's listening like look at their phones. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. So you did hear it? It wasn't just me? Yes, you it was. Just... Too? Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, we, we've used private money, but we've been surprised at how many high-level investors have not gotten banks involved because there are local banks who love putting money back into their own community. Um, and you know, the, the bank that we've worked with a lot with this million dollar credit line has just been awesome. I mean, they, they're very easy to work with. I send them the address that we want to buy the, I send them the comps, um, the, you know, our, obviously our purchase price and then the after repair value. And they simply just give a, a thumbs up and we go, I mean, they know that we like to buy 70% or lower than market value and, they know that they have that the deal is safe. And now we've done so many deals with them that they they've never questioned a deal. Um, you know, they'll fund it essentially immediately as fast well, how as how'd you start that conversation? They, so we brought them, we brought them into um, this conference room right here. It's a pretty nice conference room. You know, how it's like, you know, has a, a nice little view and it's, yeah. it's a newer building. And Jeff and I put together like a 12 point PowerPoint slide on um, our business, our, our marketing strategy, our flip strategy and kind of talked about what we want to do. And we, we asked for a million dollars up front when we weren't even really even doing that much work. And this one, this particular bank we're working with, they gave us a $400,000 line in our first year, a credit line to buy houses off of. And then they just bumped it um, earlier this year to a million. So incredible! It, it was just one deal at a time. And they just wanted to walk before we ran together and, um, that's exactly what we did. And we just tried to make sure that we were very diligent and, you know, honoring everything that we said we would do from, you know, our side of the agreement and the bank relationship has been great. Um, so that's what I always, and I push that in the mastermind to say, Hey, if, you know, if you're flipping a hundred houses a year, there's banks that want to work with you. You have enough money moving in and out of your operation that, um, you can, you don't have to pay 10 or 12% for your money. You can, you know, you can pay bank rates essentially. So that's what we've had a lot of success doing now. I know as we, as we grow, we're going to need to that, you know, I don't know if I can go back to the bank and say, Hey, we just found a $2 million multifamily property or $3 million project that we want you to fund for us. I mean, I know that I'm going to have to raise some private money. So we're doing that along the way, but um, for our little flipping operation of doing, you know, buying six or seven houses a month, um, it works really well. Incredible. So yeah. w what is an aspect in your business that you're working on improving now? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the analytics. Sometimes you, you get so involved in your business, you forget to kind of step back and look at, Hey, how many leads have I generated from my pay-per-click versus my um, outbound calling, you know, or compared to my postcards. So that's something that's kind of been weighing on me recently um, that I need to step back and spend really a couple of days really focused in on analyzing where my deals have come from, where my money is best spent from a marketing standpoint. Um, 
So yeah, I think sometimes we just get, we put our head down and we just buy house and buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. And we forget to look at, you know, the big picture, the big no, picture and which ones, Hey, which, which deals are really good deals. What parts of town are, are really working for us right now. And so that's what I need to step back and do is kind of look at that. Why don't we do this a week from now? I'll call you and you can call me because I got to do the same thing. I have to dig deep back into our KPIs. That's right. Okay. Maybe give me two weeks. Give me two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Two weeks. Two weeks. I could do that in two weeks. Um, so what has been the biggest challenge that you have faced in real estate to date? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I don't even know that, I think my own fears would be the biggest challenge and I hate having a, an answer that's not like a, a measurable thing, but that's a good answer. I think that a, a lot of times I, I don't make a decision because I'm afraid to make a decision or I don't take action just because of fear that either failure or that it won't work. Um, so every time that I've acted anyway, and it's not that you, for me, I don't really ever, I don't feel like I overcome fear. I think I just do it scared. And I think that's kind of been my motto the last year and a half is like, you know what, I've, I've analyzed this as much as I can analyze it. Or, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've done as much due diligence as I can possibly do. So it's time to make a decision. And a lot of times when you make that decision, doesn't mean that the fear is gone. The fear is still there, but you just do it anyway and you do it scared. And um, it doesn't mean that you're, that you're, rushing into something or that you're doing it uninformed. It's just the fear doesn't necessarily go away. And I still have, you know, a deal that I'll be analyzing or we'll be negotiating back and forth. And I'll be talking with one of my acquisition managers. I'll be like, ah, I just don't know if I like the numbers on that one. And it's funny because I, even now when we have so much volume that kind of cures some of that ill, you know, if you only flip two or three houses a year and one of them loses money, that's a bad thing. But in our case, like I'm, I'm okay losing money on a couple of deals a year, it's still, I, I can still get frozen. Sometimes I just freeze. Um, and I think that's true with taking action or, you know, I, I want to grow into multifamily and I'll have all these big ideas, but I just kind of am, I freeze because it's the unknown because I don't know, you know, what the results will be with the action that I want to take. And it just kind of, it slows progress. Well, that right there was a golden nugget because you, you figure so many people out there are afraid to take the next step. And look at you. You do it afraid. You work through it. And you're about to do 80 plus deals this year. Yeah, That's awesome. Not including, yeah. The yeah, not so, including the buy and hold. So what, yeah. what, is your, what is your big why for doing all this? Um, I, I wanted to, well, I had, I had a good corporate job. I think I, I even liked my job. Like it was okay, but... <laughs> um, I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that for another 30 plus years. And, um, I'd always loved the idea of working for myself. I'd love the, I, I've always loved the idea of doing something in real estate. And, um, I wanted a way to be able to provide for my family, but not have to be gone all the time. So a lot of it was about just a lifestyle to be able to spend more time with family and to, um, be able to do what I love. Uh, like I really appreciate really simple things like after being in corporate America for 10 years and like sitting in meetings that I didn't want to be in and like just doing something because your boss told you to do it, even though you don't necessarily agree with it or you don't see the value in it. I've really appreciated like 
not going, I don't sit in any meetings that I don't want to be in. And I know that's a small thing, but it's like such a big deal to me (laughs) after spending 10 years of my life at doing a job that makes somebody else money and sitting in meetings that I don't want to be in. Like, I just appreciate really small things or like I wear flip flops every day and shorts, um, at least in the summer. And like, I really love that. Like just being able to not have to like dress in business casual or like work, you know, whatever the term that they use in I'll tell you something that you'll enjoy. My, my sister works in corporate America and she has meetings to prepare for the meeting that's going to prepare for the meeting. Yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous. We're we're having meetings to prepare for meetings that that are for the meeting. Yeah. Instead of just having the meeting. So I'm not quite sure. I said, uh, you know, Ash, I'll stop you there. I'm not going to be able to help you. Yeah. I have no wisdom on this, on this level here. So. Yeah. And I, I can, and I love being able to like travel. Like I'm, I'm headed to California tomorrow and we're, we're going to close on a couple of deals while I'm gone and that can happen. Like everything can happen while I'm away. Um, or I can, I can be there on occasion to pick my kids up from school or to drop them off in the morning. And that was just something that I never got to do when I was working in the corporate job. So I think that's my why it's a, like a lot of little, a lot of little things, but it was more so to be able to provide for my family and still be present. And I think I'm, I'm on a path to retire much sooner than what I would had I continued working the job I was working. So I want to retire like way, way sooner. Well, talking about the future, where do you see yourself, your business, your family, your partnerships, where do you see that in the in five years, five years? Um, well, we really want to grow into multifamily. So I think from a career standpoint, um, a business standpoint, the flipping business we want to maintain um, because it creates capital to be able to buy more rentals and, you know, pay for a salary and kind of support life. Um, but from a, a go big standpoint, we, Jeff and I both want to own a thousand units, um, a thousand total. Uh, and we haven't really talked much further beyond that. I don't know that we can do that in five years. That may be more like a seven year plan, but um, you know, depending on how we do the, you know, joint venture with, you know, money partners and that could be doable in five years, but that's really what we want to get into is big multifamily. Um, And I would like to be really within five years, I would like to have a hundred percent of my income be completely passive so that if I had never flipped a house again, um, that I would be okay. I'd be able to survive not flipping. That's a great goal. So if there's someone starting out their uh, real estate journey right now, what would be one actual step you would say they should take to start? Um, I, my opinion is that you have to put yourself in a position to make an offer on a property. If you're going to be, whether you're buying hold or you're going to flip a house. So to me, anything, any activity that you do, that will end up with you being able to make an offer on a house is a good activity. Um, and I call that marketing, but it doesn't mean you have to spend money. Um, you know, whether you're door knocking or putting out some bandit signs that you spend a hundred dollars on, um, those are all activities that put you in a position to, to make an offer. Now for an investor, I, I buy very little off the MLS. I know that some, some investors can still make money buying houses that are on the market, but, um, you know, specifically, how can I make an offer to somebody 
who does not have their house listed on the MLS, but wants to sell their house. Um, so that's would be my advice for somebody who's interested is, well, put yourself in a position to make an offer and then make that offer um, and see where it goes from there. And don't worry about all the other steps of like finding the money or, you know, how do I rehab a house? I think a lot of people who watch HGTV or the rehab, the fix and flip shows, they, they see all of the issues with like flipping the actual project. But I think, you know, all the real work is done up front, finding that house where there's room to, to make some money at the, at the end of the project. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Thank you. So what are some words that you live by? Words that I live by? Uh, it, integrity would be a big one. I try to do what I say and say what I do. Um, that's a big one for me. So I, I don't really have any others that I can think of right now. No, that's no, perfect. I'll just give you the one. Yep. That's perfect. And that's all I got. If others would like to hear a little bit more about you, find more about your company, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Um, they could email me directly, um, Clint at dpomaha.com. That's Dynamic Properties is uh, my LLC. They can find us on Facebook, though I don't spend a lot of time updating my Facebook page. Um, but yeah, email me and start a conversation. Awesome. They can, yeah, they can find me any which way. And I love to talk real estate with anybody and, and everybody. And so whenever there's an opportunity to talk about it, I, I take that opportunity. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You gave us a wealth of information about how you started out doing five flips in 2015, grew to eight flips in 2016, buying some rental properties to today, looking to do over 80 deals this year, not including all the buy and holds you have. And just the advice of uh, having the fear of not taking action, but just overcoming that and taking the action was just incredible. And to leave that with the word integrity is a great way to end. Quentin, thank you so much for today. We really appreciate it. Thank you both. Thank you so much. We're so grateful for you to be for being on our show. So this is the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you again so much to Clint. And thank you to you all out there for listening. So grateful. Have a good Thanks. day. You too. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.